everybody, it's player 456, a squid game podcast and we are on to our final part of our deep dive into episode 4, stick to the team, we're getting to the real game, not the murder game Colin, before it begins basically, the players are told that they're going to be playing as a team and what did you think about this setting, the big massive white room? Yeah, so there's a massive change in colour palette here. In the past, we've seen really bright, childlike colours. We've seen outside, we've seen playgrounds. And this is just a vast white space of absolutely nothing but white. It's a very massive space. It's, it's, you see it's really long room. There's steps, there's places to sit, there's places to spread out. But it's brilliant white coloured. Um, it's a far, far change to what you've seen before. In terms of what that means, I don't know if it's meant to try and just take your attention away from everything but the people and it's all about picking a team and you don't want any distractions so the room's white there's nothing to look at but the people and you make your choices with nothing else kind of clouding your judgment or making you think of other things but it's just it's more noticeable just by how much of a change it is from what you've seen before to this just brilliant white colour. Yeah apart from numerology one of my favourite things is synchronisation here and you've got 10 minutes to split into groups of 10 just so happens, like I mentioned in the previous episode, that there are 80 people left, which means they can neatly split up into eight teams of 10. So we've got Jihoon, Sangwoo, Ali, Sebok, and player one, Il Nam. They decide, well, Sangwoo basically decides here that we don't need any more women in the team because men are better at just these games. He doesn't know what game is coming up. Do you think he's got any idea of what's coming up here? Do you think he's got it figured again? I think he's got a bit of an idea because he's he's adamant about strength. He's adamant about just getting big guys. He's very adamant about no more women because they've already got two on the team. Um, or one on the team with another one just about to join them. So I think he's got a hint, but I don't think he fully knows everything yet. Yeah, so obviously the gangster, the baddies, the dark side, they know what's coming up. So uh, Doc Sue basically says, go find big, big men, basically, which kind of Spells the end for 2-1-2's involvement with them after promising his undying commitment, love, in inverted commas, to 2-1-2. He pretty rapidly drops her here. Yeah, it's literally been, I think, 10 minutes or so since he was sleeping with her or having sex with her. So it's just awful. But you can see he's he's already plotting against her at this point. Sang would advise everybody to bring back one person. If we all do that, we'll have a team of 10. No more women, though. And there's a nice wee part where he's... Well, it's nice because he's looking after Ali, but he's also thinking of the greater team, so it's not so nice. But he tells Ali to hide his fingers when he's asking uh, for somebody to join because it'll make him look weak. And that was one of the biggest giveaways for me that he knew a little bit about this this game because the fingers were such an important part to it. And how do you think he's figured this out? He seems to be this guy that we saw in the previous episode that he was eavesdropping and listening to other people. I don't know if he's been trying to get close to that other team and listening to them or listening to the doctor. He just seems one of these guys that's a bit of a weasel and always get his ear to the ground and always try to catch stuff. But he's given away too much here to know nothing, so he certainly knows something that's going on. Yeah, so everybody's got told to go away and pick one person to bring back, basically. So we'll speak about who brings who back here. We'll start with uh, Sebok. She sees 240. Sitting at the top of the stairs, basically, Lee, you, me, sitting there, not unaware, but again, just this sort of uncaring attitude to 
what is going on, and she seems to be the only character so far that has had this vibe about her, and I've said this before, I love her, I think she's brilliant, I think she's an absolutely amazing character. Yeah, everybody else is milling around, desperately trying to find people and build up acquaintances and get accepted onto other people's teams and stuff like that, and she is actually, she was actually just sat on the steps, high above everybody, playing with her hands at this point. Um, I don't know if that's what drew Sanvey Arctic over to her, but yeah, she's the, she's the first person to join the team, so told not to bring a woman back, and that's one already. Player uh, 001 doesn't bring MD back, Jack. They end up getting stuck with player 212 because she has dumped by Joksu, um, and she's completely floored by this. She falls down to her knees on the ground, she's in tears. He ends up knocking her away from him, calls her a pathetic bitch and to get his hands, get her hands off of him. Just a truly awful human being compared to what he was doing with her less than an hour ago. He tells her, if you call me babe again, I'll cut your throat out. And as they walks back to the team while she's on her knees upset, you just hear him saying to one of them, she wasn't worth it anyway. An absolutely despicable bastard. He really, really is. To her credit, she stamps out of it really quickly, joins the heroes team and just barges her way in basically. But the way she's been treated is utterly appalling. And as much as she's been annoying so far, I did start to kind of go on her side a little bit here. Yeah, and what did you think of Sang Wu going up to the, the man standing and saying, all right, big man, you look pretty strong. Fancy coming on my team. And then he goes, my wife is here. And he drops him like a hot potato. Like, no, off you pop. My, my, I'll tell you what, my first thought was this poor bastard's here with his wife. What fucking trouble are they two in? Um, and then my second thought was that was just ice, ice cold. Yeah, I want you. Come join me. Oh, wait a minute, you've got her? Nope. You're on your own. And you know what happens if they're on their own? At the end, they'll just get papped to anybody. It's probably not going to be for the best. So, stone cold from him. He said he was going to do that at the start. It was him that set the rules for the team and he's just going by his own rule, I suppose. But it was ice cold. Yeah, you mentioned the man and wife obviously being in real difficulty. Should they have one of them just come back? Well, that's the thing, Jack. There's only going to be one winner in this game. But they don't know that, do they? Yeah, well, that's true, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. I, I can't envisage a situation where most guys would bring their wife in there with them. I think you would say that you stay at home, leave me, leave this to me. But you don't know the, the backstory. Yeah, I suppose. Do you think that if there are multiple survivors, then you're better being. Two is better than one, do you think? They've maybe had that conversation off of camera, behind the scenes, and the guys maybe said, or the woman, uh, the wife has maybe said, I'll go back by myself. And they've went, no, we can't do that. We can't split up. We need to stay together. We need to stick together. We need to be united here. Sorry for swearing again, but it really fucking backfires and marbles the episode, which we're going to get to soon. Yeah, I think it's probably, they don't know the rules, the exact rules that there's only going to be one Squid Game winner, and they probably decided we better do this together. So I can see maybe why they've decided to go back in. The other obviously recruit comes from Ali. He brings in a, a fella, and he does a little bit of a a salute or a gesture towards them, which um, you've looked into, and it's called the adab, and it basically means respect and politeness. Which that's what you put in Ali's tombstone, isn't it? Respect and politeness. Um, it's just perfect. Yeah, it really is. The way he just walks up to the guy and just gives him that little bit of sign language, that a dab sign, basically, and the guy understands what he's getting at and decides to to join join him as well. So 
That is it. Like I said, we've met 240, um, who I really like. We find out later on that she is not mental, but she's a murderer, basically. But again, grey areas, she, I was going to say killed for the right reason, but obviously there's no right reason for doing that. But again, there's grey areas here about her relationship with her father, but we'll, we'll get there. This game relies on strength. It is tug of war, basically, but a deadly version. Yes, it's tug of war and it's a deadly version. And it's by far the most impressive game setup that we've seen so far. They are going to get better, but this is the most impressive looking one so far. Big, massive, yellow suspended platforms. So high up that you take an elevator to get to it. And it's a tug of war. There's a gap between the two platforms. So when one team loses, they fall to their death. This is probably the first game, Jack, where all contestants, including the more normal ones, the less bloodthirsty ones, are actually playing and forced to kill each other. You've got to ask yourself, how would that affect you? Would it, it's, it's almost a sink or swim situation, isn't it? Where if you're going to have a problem with doing that, you're going to end up killing yourself and letting your team down. But at the same time, you are pulling people to their death. You, that's what you're doing that you're responsible for. That is, I don't know how long it takes for a person to become neutralised, basically, to the brutality of the games. There's been two major games and uh, the murder game in the dormitory. You have seen what has happened. I just don't know if you have already got into the mindset of it's kill or be killed. I don't know because if you're a normal person, that a lot of this is really, really alien to you. And I think that's really interesting the way that they're sort of addressing this. And again, the acting here, there's lots of there's lots of people walking about looking worried. And the guy that Ji Hoon eventually gets just looks like a broken man, like he really does, Like, and I can imagine being absolutely broken, the brutality that they've went through, because these games seem to be pretty rapid, which seems to be, you get a sleep game, sleep game, basically. We're only a couple of days in, but they've seen 420 odd people either die or disappear already. Yeah, that's it's going to mess you up, so you're, I think you're going to get to that sort of kill or be killed space pretty quickly just from a self-preservation point of view. You see straight away with this this same game that Jock Sue feels pretty smug and confident. He has gathered a team full of big, strong men, and his team are called out first. It's like a, a, an FA Cup draw. They're pulling balls out of um, boxes to, to pick which teams are playing against each other. Thankfully, his big, strong team avoid our heroes, and they go off against another team, and they win very, very easily. What's quite horrific there, Jack, is you see the fall that these poor losers go on, and they're expected to all hit the ground and die instantly, which most of them do. However, when the workers come in to put them away, you realise that some of them are still breathing and still alive, horrifically injured, but still alive. But they're just put into coffins anyway. There was a little bit I noticed there, which I actually only noticed on this third watch of the episode. I haven't seen any other ones. When they picked up those people that were still alive and put them into the coffins, it focused on the coffin just for a split second and had a marking on it of a cross. And I didn't know if that was them marking those as particularly good people to be doing the the donor eh, with what the the organ harvesting because they're actually still alive just now. So you're going to get a really fresh heart, a really fresh lung, or whatever. It was the first I'd noticed it just on that episode. Yeah, because you would have to look really closely at a black coffin to see blood on it. And yeah, I think it's like this this person's organs 
aren't completely shattered at the moment. Because you've been alive the longest, I suppose, his organs are most likely to be alive, even if it is just being alive for five more minutes or ten more minutes than anybody else. It still means your lungs, your heart, your liver will have been getting oxygen and stuff like that. So yeah, I think that's definitely a case of, take this one away, this will be worth the most money. There's a real subtle detail here. Um, I don't know if a lot of people would have noticed this. The guillotine, it's got a square base. It's got the circle cut out and the flag in the middle is a triangle, the wee pink triangle. Yeah, that is subtle, but I like it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So Ji Hoon's team's called up next, and to their dismay, they are up against a team of guys, basically 10 guys they've got to go up against. So it does appear at this moment in time that they're pretty doomed. In a moment of I've seen people argue about this online actually about player player one and his ability to recall things. Now because we know that what he is, we can understand that. But at the same time, dementia, if he is does have dementia, sorry, surely like some of these things are things that people would remember with dementia, you know, their younger days and, and so on and so forth. Because I've seen a lot of people say, How can he remember what happened sixty years ago? Surely that's one of the symptoms of dementia is that you you maybe stuck in a, a place in a time many, many years ago. That's it. Uh, I mean, it's something that there's no cure for and they're still trying to fully understand. So God knows what you and I can offer to that debate. But my understanding is that you have certain memories that you almost live in and you're almost stuck in that position and that, that's place and time. And they'll be very, very lucid to you and they'll feel real and that's where you're at. And you will remember them, whereas you won't remember something that's happened five minutes ago. It could be also some of his surroundings. He's been in a, in a situation now where he's surrounded by things that are based on games from his childhood. So maybe that's helped to take him back to that place and made him suddenly remember some really great advice that he gives them here about tug of war from a very unlikely source. So they're in the elevator on their way up to the platform. There's a little bit of, and the team people may be not interested in what he's saying, but Jihan steps in here and says, no, listen to the man. And they do, and he gives them some strong tips. Uh, place the rope in the middle, stand on alternating sides. Keep your feet planted straight forward and tuck the rope underneath your armpits. And then for the first 10 seconds, plant your feet and tilt your body backwards. Basically, almost, they actually say so that you can almost see the person in front of you's groin. That's what they do, Jack. They start and 10 seconds, they get absolutely solid and lean back. And it frustrates the other team because they start to realise that they're not moving them, they're not budging them. And they start to then slip and move themselves. And it gives them a little bit of an early advantage in the competition, doesn't it? Yeah, just before we get there, what did you think about the length of time it told Player One to tell this story in that lift? It seemed like that lift got up there pretty quickly and they seemed to just extend his story. He's very slow, he's very methodical in the way it tells him. Just the timing didn't match up, but maybe that's me being a little bit pernickety. No, no, it didn't. It also didn't match up with the first round of, of game that you saw because at that point you didn't even see a lift. You just saw them walking round to the platforms and suddenly they were there. You know, that could just be a dubbing issue. It could take longer to say the things in English than it does in Korean. Yeah, like you, you mentioned the advice there and when I was watching this for the very first time, I texted you and I said, I want to speak about tug of war to you. Can you remember? Because I've, I listened to another podcast and they were speaking about tug of war and see all the advice that is given here. This is what world champion tug of warers do. There's that lean back. They had to actually change the rules of the world 
championship tug of war because it was both the teams would lean back and would stick in that position. See if you go onto YouTube and type in tug of war world championships, that's all that happens for the first sometimes 10, 15 minutes. And they had to change the rules because for a start, it's boring, but people were wearing, (laughs) listen to this, big shoes because it's all about friction. Right, okay. The more friction you can get on the ground and the more of your body weight you can spread across the ground, the more friction you've got, the harder you are to move. So people with size 8 shoes were putting on tons of pairs of socks and putting on like size 14s. Right. And the World Championship tug of warers decided you're not allowed to do that. You need to wear shoes that actually fit your feet because it is really boring. Nothing happens. It's as soon as you lose that friction that well, it happens here in this game you slide, and that's when they've got the advantage. But it doesn't quite go exactly to plan. One quote I did want to quickly just touch on was, again, player one, he says, we need a strong leader in the front and a dependable man in the back. Who's a dependable man? Um, it's, our, it's our man Ali, yeah. Yeah, and a strong leader is, of course, Ji-hoon. So, again, sort of reiterating the point of their characteristics basically so they, they get the early advantage but and they, they pull the marker considerably further over to their side but the other team do get their act together and manage to pull it back a little bit and it's looking quite even and this is when Sang Woo kind of steps up and has an idea and he starts shouting everybody on my signal take three steps forward obviously in mind that this will completely unbalance the other team cause them to then be able to yank back and pull them off and that's what they do. They start taking these steps forward just as camera zooms into their feet as they do it, Jack. And that's when the episode ends. We've got a little bit of a what you would you used to be called a cliffhanger is what you've got here. Well, they're literally almost hanging off of not quite a cliff, but I seem to be in the minority from what I've been reading and from what people have been saying. I have seen a lot of people saying this was the best or one of the better cliffhanging endings that people had seen in TV. I disagree. I don't think this is a good cliffhanger because you know what's going to happen. Of course you know what's going to happen. There's no qualms about, I suppose, you can say that about a lot of TV shows, you know who the goodies are, but I just felt this was unnecessary because it's not like if they had shown you them winning, you wouldn't watch the next episode anyway. It just didn't grab me like it seems to have grabbed a lot of people, Colin, you might disagree. I do disagree a little bit, and there's a, there is a reason for it, though, because if this show was on network TV and that ended at that point and you had a week to wait to find out what happened, then I would also agree that it's probably quite a poor cliffhanger. I don't actually think it is a cliffhanger, per se. This is basically a nine-hour movie split into nine parts, and it's on Netflix, released all at one go. And as this so-called cliffhanger happens, you press next and you see what happens straight away. It's not traditional TV where you have cliffhangers per se and talk and work the next day around the water fountain, basically about what happened. It's, it's just not like that anymore. So I don't even see it as a cliffhanger. So I take your point on board that if it was normal television, it was week to week, yes, it's a poor cliffhanger because you know what's going to happen. But the episode was 55 minutes long exactly, which is about right. It ended at that point and it makes you want to press the next button, I think, rather than make you worry. It just makes, It's enticing you to just press that button again and see what, get the next episode started. 
Yeah, I can understand that as well. But I have seen a lot of people saying, oh, it was one of the most tense things I've ever watched. It's definitely not. It's not. It's not that. It's not that at all. It's not like some of the things in Lost years and years ago where you definitely had to wait a week. Like that was <laughs> that was incredibly frustrating, but at the same time, you just couldn't wait to see the next episode. Oh, I used to watch that and then watch it basically pause every scene, try to find Dharma logos in the background and stuff like that. It was. In fact, mate, now you're talking about Dharma logos, I've been looking at the walls in the dormitory. Mm-hmm. I still can't see anything there that hints towards what's happening. I think it's this next episode you start to see them because if you think about it, they've not moved out all those dead people's beds yet and they're just about to move out another 40 people's beds. And it's as the beds start to go down in numbers when the War of the Wall gets revealed. Right, okay, okay. We'll get to some questions, queries and theories then. Questions, queries, theories. So this time, um, we've had an email from Faith. Hi, 456ers. Just before we get to your part of the show, we would like to let you know that we also do a show called Wrong Term Memory, where we cover some true crime, some 90s pop culture, a little bit of history, some science, a whole range of things, really. Yeah, so if you enjoy listening to us, and not just listening to us talking about Squid Game, then just search in your podcast app of choice for Wrong Term Memory or visit our website at wrongtermmemory.com. If you don't fancy doing that, you can offer your support for Player 456 by leaving a review or rating. Now, on with the show, um, who's emailed us on player456pod at gmail.com. And her email says, Hi Colin and Jack, absolutely loving your podcast and in-depth analysis on Squid Game. I'm delighted to discover that it's also been that it's been recorded, as I'm just down the road from you in Edinburgh, so it's sweet to hear local accents. One thing I haven't heard mentioned anywhere is how similar the use of classical music is to a clockwork orange. The softness and high brownness jars against the violence in exactly the same way. Is this a popular film trope? I'm off now to listen to your podcast while you record the next one. Thank you so much, Faith. P.S. Here's a post I wrote in episode three, and she's linked us to our blog. Thanks for getting in touch, Faith. I think it's becoming something more and more common, Jack, that you are seeing classical, beautiful pieces of music put against extreme acts of violence and horror, isn't it? It's some of the stuff that was on this episode I recognise from Ballet. I don't know what it's called because I'm not a guy that goes to Bali, but there is a famous Bali tune that's in this episode that's used in a pretty horrific way. But I don't know about you, I love the score in this show. I'm, I'm trying to find it online somewhere because I just love the music, it's great. It really is, yes. I can't say that I know much about A Clockwork Orange. It was one of my friend's favourite films. I think I watched it once about 20 years ago and couldn't really enjoy it or get involved in it. Maybe I would enjoy it more nowadays. But yes, that sort of yin and yang that we spoke about before, the the black and white, this highbrow, like you said, Faith, this very, very nice, whereas there's this extreme violence going on. I don't think it is. I wouldn't call it a trope as of yet, because I would think that for most of film history and TV history, they've tried to get music that would go along with what was happening on screen. It might be a newish thing, although A Clockwork Orange is maybe about 40 40 years ago or something, that film was a sort of late 70s, maybe 80s or something like that, I'm not 100% sure, so it's been used back then and it's maybe coming more into into fashion nowadays. It's It's something that Tarantino does very well. 
right. he manages to find film this music from 20, 30, 40 years ago and bring it into a modern setting and use it in quite interesting ways. But yeah, it is something we're seeing more and more of. And it's just like you say, it's that juxtaposition, that yin and yang of something quite lovely paired with something horrific. That's it. Did you read Faith's blog? I did, yeah. It's quite interesting all about like cybercrime and the stuff that this, this show's actually impacted the real world now and instructing criminals to do stuff. Yeah, the show has supposedly. Um, I haven't fact-checked this, but I have no reason to think that Faith would lie to us on a blog. We've got we've got faith in her, haven't we? We've got faith in you, Faith, yes. It's inspired a cryptocurrency called Squid, which turned out to be a scam, and the developers stole £2.5 million pounds off of people. Listen, there's so many cryptocurrencies out there now all trying to be big. There's literally thousands of them, and if you go do one link to the Squid game, if so many people are interested in it, people are going to throw a fiver at it, a tenner at it, just for the novelty of it. And that's what people have done. And they've closed it down, stopped the blockchain, and off they go. They're probably going to get away with it as well because it's all so secret and that blockchain will stop him to find out who it actually was. So be careful if you're getting invested in stuff linked to Squid Game. It's probably not legit. Well, that is it. Faith, thanks for getting in contact again. Player456pod at gmail.com, player456pod on Twitter or quitethethingmedia.com. You will find our homepage on there as well but as always thanks for tuning in cheers Colin cheers Jack I'm looking forward to doing this all again next week speak to you soon guys bye bye